Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 231. My name is Terry Frost, and this time around, more black exploitation. We're going to look at two from the early 1970s. The first one is the Isaac Hayes movie Truck Turner, also starring Nichelle Nichols, and then it is a remake of a My Okay movie, Gekata, and the remake is Hitman, starring Bernie Casey and Pam Greer. So sit back, I'll get the contact details out of the way, tell you what I've been up to, and then we will hit the 1970s in platform heels and big pimp hats. Paleo Cinema Podcast is a fortnightly podcast of movie appreciation. There's only one rule, and that is the movies have to be more than 20 years old, and I have to like them. I'm going to be looking at the history of the films, the social context in which the films were made, and relate that to the way movies are now. Feedback is very important, so you can leave reviews on iTunes. You can also go to feedbackpaleo, P-A-L-E-O, at gmail.com and drop an email or a voicemail by MP3. Or you can go to the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. Now, please be aware that this podcast may contain adult language. So if you don't want to have to explain it to your kids, don't listen to it when the kids are around. Unless you have incredibly hip children. Okay, how have you been? Uh, We had an interesting week. Uh, We took an extended weekend and drove to Sydney, which was kind of fun. And kind of not fun at the same time. It was our nephew Billy's eighth birthday, so we talked to my sister and my brother-in-law. And we thought we would surprise him, and indeed we did. Uh, His birthday lunch was at a pizza joint that we knew pretty well down at Little Bay in Sydney. And so we drove up there uh, and surprised him for the birthday party. So that's one side of things. Uh, There are some other cool things that happened there too. We booked into the same boutique hotel I booked into when I did my solo trip to Sydney in November. And you can read all about it, well, listen to all about that on uh, Paleo Cinema Podcast 122, which was uh, actually it was in October rather than November. I apologize. It was in October. So we booked into the hotel, which is undergoing a name change. It's now called uh, something like Boutique 1831 because the building dates back to 1831 or something like that. And uh, we found a much bigger and much nicer room than I had last time, which is kind of useful because there were two of us there. And we hit uh, the Chinatown food scene pretty heavily. We were lucky because we arrived on the Friday. And in Dixon Street, uh, which is Sydney's Chinatown, the centre vein of Sydney's Chinatown, they had a night market. So that was kind of cool. We prowled the night market and walked up Dixon Street. And, of course, we got the Empress Puffs from uh, the Empress Bakery which are kind of little balls of dough with custard in the middle of them, and they're the best thing ever. 35 cents each if you buy them individually. You get 18 of them for 5 bucks, so we went with the 18. But uh, I wanted to show sell around the food areas of Dixon Street, and so we ended up at the same food court where I ate last time and picked up some really cool Indonesian slash Malaysian hawker food. It's probably more Malaysian, but uh, the, the cultures meld a little bit. And so I got a lassi nemak, which is uh, some rice. You get some peanuts mixed with dried fish on the side. You get a chicken leg and some um, 
the beef rendang and a little bit of salad in there and really good stuff really enjoyed it had a great time there went back to another hawker stand which is in a food court underneath uh, a building in dixon street so these places aren't mainstream they're kind of you've got to go down a flight of stairs to find where they are and unless you do it's really really easy to walk past them so we found another one a little further down dixon street for a meal later and for 12 bucks i got the same thing done slightly differently but still nice along with a bowl of soup as well so that was kind of cool i could spend all my time just eating hawker food in dixon street it's just the best and then as we were walking down the hill from that first night on friday night there was a guy selling uh, skewers of meat and you got five of them for five bucks. So I picked up some skewers and they're old, really incredibly old school Chinese. You, they get a little um, chili sauce on top of them, uh, chili vinegar sauce on them. But what they had was pretty much awful on a skewer. And I'm, I'm up for new food experiences. I'm always up for that kind of thing. So I ended up getting some cow throat, some cow tripe some duck gizzards uh what else did i get i got some octopus and i got just some uh chili beef on a skewer so i've got five of these little skewers and enjoyed them if you go to my instagram page if, if you look up uh cult guru on instagram you can see full gory go- glory gory glory of my food experiences in dixon street and all of that was really cool and, and we enjoyed that uh picked up a few other little bits and pieces while we were around as well and uh hit the nephew's birthday party he had a birthday party on sunday as well so we did his birthday party on saturday and he had a birthday party for his friends on sunday so we rolled up to that it was in a common area in the apartment building where they live and so you know that was, that's kind of groovy as well the other thing too was it was really hot in the city it was like 40 degrees centigrade with high humidity for the whole time we were there and melbourne's just starting to cool down with the change of the season so there was a bit of adjustment to go there but nonetheless it was a lot of fun the other interesting thing was i've mentioned this theater before in the podcast the capitol theater where i used to go and see adult films in the 1970s has become a flesh and blood theater now they're doing the live stage version of mamma mia there at the moment and our car park for the hotel was beneath the Capitol Theatre and it's basically dug out of Sydney sandstone so it's a great big pit dug in the middle of Sydney uh, to put a quite a small car park in and the car parking spots were small and we got like a medium SUV so we ended up squeezing the car in and the car parking spots were so small that the driver had to get out through the passenger seat to be able to um, make the car park work so that's the good side of what happened so there, there is a kind of sadder side of what happened as well and i've talked about this on facebook but i'll just quickly share it here uh, i did see my mum twice and her dementia is a lot worse than it was five or six months ago when i saw her last and she came to the pizza lunch and things like that and she wasn't handling it particularly well but um when it came time for the cake i basically spoon fed her pieces of cake and that really kind of hit me in a strange place because we'd come full circle when i was a child she spoon fed me and now that she has the issues that she has i was spoon feeding her cake and that kind of um made me reflective it, it didn't depress me it it is what it is and there's not a lot i can do to change it well in fact there's nothing i can do to change it 
but uh, I spoon-fed her cake, and then she clutched my hand and held onto my hand for about five minutes, smiling at me. And that was really the best possible result I could get from this. The fact that she knew we had a relationship, she knew we were close, even though she couldn't, in her mind, understand my name and our, what our relationship was. She knew that I was somebody who mattered in her life. And that was kind of sweet. And then we also went and visited her on Sunday at the nursing home where she lives and, and kind of caught up with her for about 40 minutes there. So, um, yeah, it is um, challenging and daunting. And to be really honest, I don't know how much time she has left. So I'm going to have to kind of work that out when the time comes that I'll have to go up to Sydney and uh, help out with those arrangements. So, yeah, it's made me kind of reflective. Uh, Not necessarily depressed or down, but still I'm, I'm letting the emotions happen. And I'm acknowledging that they're happening. Way too often when things like this hit us in life, particularly if you're a guy of a particular age and who grew up in a culture where men's emotions weren't encouraged to be expressed, it is a little bit difficult. But yeah, it was good that I did it. Uh, It was good for Billy, our nephew, for the birthday. It was good for Stalin and I to get away for a little bit and to groove on the Chinatown vibe there. And it was good to catch up with my sister Linda and my brother-in-law Gavin, and uh, and it was good that we were there to kind of acknowledge and to help with mum. So yeah, uh, it was a trip, and um, yeah, a very wide spectrum of emotions there. So we stopped on the way back at a town called Wagga Wagga, which was a little off the direct line home to Melbourne, but uh, yeah, that that was good too. But yeah, I was kind of glad to be home because I got to the stage after the intense emotions of the weekend where I wanted to be back in my own place and in my own space. And it was nice that I did that. Uh, but yeah, so that's what happened. And that's the reason why I haven't mo- watched much lately. Let's see if there's anything really I want to mention. Two things. Uh, I did see three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And I talked about that on the radio. I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the last podcast, but I probably didn't. Um I believe that Frances McDormand earned her Oscar, as indeed did Sam Rockwell. It's a really good film, directed and written by um, Neil McDonough, who also did In Bruges, that movie with Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell in it. Uh, it's, there are just so many great moments in this film. There's the great speech Frances McDormand's character, Mildred, gives to a priest, there's some fantastic moments with Woody Harrelson as well, who was really good in the role as a sheriff. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of worked for me. I think the last five or six minutes aren't as on point as the rest of the film. Nonetheless, I think the, the ending kind of does work regardless. So I did that um, with a guy called Rowan on ABC Darwin. We talked about uh, three billboards. And Rowan was kind of slightly less in favour of it than I was, but I really think it worked, mostly because I've been watching shit before that. So uh, I got that phen- I had that phenomenon again where you're watching a whole bunch of kind of fairly ordinary or even just kind of tentpole sorts of movies for a while. And then suddenly something with a lot of depth and character comes in and you go, ah, yeah, that's why I love cinema. And for me, Three Billboards was that kind of film. So the only other thing I've watched is something that came out on, I think Warner um, released it on DVD fairly recently. 
And it's a movie which is also a television pilot from the 1960s called Kona Coast, starring Richard Boone, uh, Vera Miles is in it, Joan Blondell, Chips Rafferty and a bunch of other people. It's based on a story called Bimini Girl by uh, John D. McDonald, one of my favourite writers. So I watched that. I don't think it's particularly well made, but, you know, you get to be a bit of a completist about these things. And it's about uh, a guy who's a kind of boat bum living in uh, sort of off-the-grid Hawaii in the 1960s who comes up uh, against a kind of nasty rich guy. And all sorts of things happen there. It's, it's not too bad. It's not bad. It's not good. It's very much the sort of careful uh, filmmaking that they did when they wanted to do a television pilot in the 1960s, but it was kind of worth visiting and watching. But apart from that, not too much has been happening as far as cinema going is concerned. I am going to probably see Ready Player One tomorrow. I've got a free ticket on the loyalty card that I've got for the local cinemas. So I'm hearing kind of mixed things about it from the people in the know who've actually seen the film. And so I'll go and check it out, and I may well do it for the next Martian Drive-In podcast along with something else. But that's pretty much it for what's been happening. I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to play the trailer for Truck Turner, and then we're going to talk about Isaac Hayes and Nichelle Nichols and pimps and gunfights and car chasers. Hide your mamas. Big brother is coming. And he's coming on strong. Isaac Hayes, the big brother of soul, is making a new kind of music. And it's Mean Jive. All right, y'all, let's move. Anybody ask you what happened, tell them you've been hit by a truck. Matt Truck Turner. When he's hottest, he's the coolest. Hey. Could have brought me some flowers. I got some beer. When he's baddest. What do you want for breakfast? He's the best. What do you think? Every gun brother and sister is out to make the big hit. I want that truck turner and I want him dead. But he's out to get before he's got. Isaac Hayes as a skip tracer. A modern day bounty hunter. Making a healthy living by making living unhealthy. Cats who skip bail. Gentlemen, this is my family. These all prime cut $238,000 worth of dynamite is Fort Knox in pennies. That's taffy. <laughs> Her clients call her Colonel Sanders because she's finger-licking good. The man who kills him gets my broads. Truck, they're going to kill you. They'll have to do just that because they owe me. I'm going to collect. When he gets it on, the action takes off. Isaac Hayes, the magic name of music, winner of the Academy Award for his music in Shaft and scoring again in this one. Yeah! 
Chuck Turner. From American International Pictures. Chuck Turner's a 1974 AIP, American International Pictures movie, starring Isaac Hayes, way before he made the choice to become a Scientologist, Yafikoto as Harvard Blue, a pimp, uh, Nichelle Nichols as Dorinda, who runs a string of ladies of the night for a guy called Gator, played by... An actor called Paul Harris, not to be mistaken for the Paul Harris who used to run Phil Buff's forecasts on 3RRR Radio here in Melbourne. We get a nice little bit from Dick Miller playing the lawyer for the pimp. And also a little bit of Scatman Crothers in there as well playing a pimp called Duke, who's a friend of Isaac Hayes' character, Mac Truck Turner. So I'll give you a brief kind of overview of it. The plot doesn't matter all that much. It's all about the wakchika music and the car chases and the, and the beautiful women. So uh, Hayes plays Mack Truck Turner, a former professional football player who becomes a Los Angeles-based bounty hunter after an injury. This is from Wikipedia, by the way. Truck visits his girlfriend Annie, who is in jail and wants to leave LA when she gets released. Truck and his partner Jerry Barnes, played by Alan Weeks, go to collect the ba- their bounty from Nate Dinwoody, a bail bondsman who refers them to Fogarty, Dick Miller, a bail bondsman who, after a pimp who has skipped bail. A guy's name is Gator, as I said. The two visit Dorinda, Nichelle Nichols, who runs Gator's stables of sex workers. So I'm not going to say prostitutes or anything like that. Sex workers don't like it when you say prostitutes. Truck and Jerry wait for Gator to visit, chase him, but Gator escapes. A tip from Truck's friend Duke, played by Scatman Crothers, allows them to locate Gator again, and they kill Gator when he attempts to shoot Truck. And then Dorinda goes feral and gets every pimp she knows into her palatial house and says that they can have 50% of her business and her girls if they kill Truck Turner and the shit gets real. The movie was directed by Jonathan Kaplan who did a bunch of things for uh, Corman including Night Call Nurses, Student Teachers, he made White Line Fever, uh, let's see Project X with Matthew Broderick in 1987. In 1988 he made The Accused which is probably the high point of his career. And he's done some episodic television. He hasn't been very active in the last 10 years as a director. So he's kind of a good jobbing director. Uh, According to Kaplan, the movie was written for Lee Marvin, Robert Mitchum or Ernest Borgnine. And then he said, Larry Gordon at AOP said, well, we can't get any of them. So now it's a black picture. They then cast Isaac Hayes. And that's how the movie became what it is. So in a sense... Kind of like Hitman, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. It's an action film not written for black guys and not written for a black cast, which was made uh, to jump on the bandwagon of black exploitation, which kind of diminishes it a little bit. I know that movies like Shaft were made by Vic Studios trying to cash in on slightly earlier and quite successful black exploitation movies like Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song by Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, but this one kind of works. It's got a lot of action, and so the in- actions are done in an interesting way. In fact, when they're chasing Gator, the chase goes through uh, a waste treatment farm with lots of churning water, lots of walkways, and things like that. So they kind of use what's available and in the area to make the action scenes really interesting. And like Hitman, 
they've got that beautiful 1970s thing where they've got those enormous 1970s American cars which have about the same floor plan as a billiard table. <laughs> They're like billiard tables with wheels. And throwing those things around a corner and getting them to chuck J-curves and um, turn, you know, slide to a halt and things like that is a massive effort because those things weighed a ton. They were all steel. And so every time I see a 1970s car chase done well, and this one did use a lot of black stuntmen from the Black Stuntmen's Association at the time, it's kind of incredible just to see somebody throwing those chunks of metal around and doing it successfully when you know that they could easily flip it and if they did the guys aren't wearing seat belts visibly and so things could get pretty ugly pretty fast so it's got all of that going for it and of course it's not in the posh areas of los angeles it's filmed down around south central and all of those kind of areas and so it's got a street grittiness which kind of works the bail bondsman place run by uh, Nate Dinwoody, who's played by an actor who appears in both of these films, both this and Hitman. Really interesting-looking guy by the name of Sam Laws, who uh, has a slightly larger role in Hitman, but uh, he's kind of a really interesting-looking actor with uh, artificially straightened hair or a wig, one of the two. I haven't quite determined which one yet. But he's definitely got a look of an earlier era, like a 1950s black urban guy in the 1970s film. So that kind of works as well. So, uh, but the standout person in this film really is Nichelle Nichols, even though she did take her career in a different way and uh, and didn't continue making exploitation films of any kind. She wanted to portray more positive roles for black people. She was... Uh, um, spokesperson for nasa in some ways and to encourage people of color to uh work for nasa she's done a few other acting roles and uh but she really commits to this role and does a fantastic job playing a woman who is a force of nature basically she's the engine of uh, a lot of the action a lot of the plot that's in truck turner i'll just give you a little bit more of her because she really does uh go you know dial it up to 11 as far as the acting and as far as overacting in truck turn is concerned i should warn you the n-word gets thrown around a little bit in this one and the language is um a little bit choice this is truck turner first meeting dorinda and walking into a women's hair salon to uh, ask her some questions about where gator is you dorinda wants to know. Since I'm asking, it must be me. <laughs> you don't look like cops, but you smell like trouble. Trouble? Me? If I was, I wouldn't stand a chance with you, Mama. <laughs> Tell me something. Is all that as good as it looks? What you see ain't all you get, baby. This ain't Sears Roebuck, nigga. <laughs> where's Gator? I said, where's Gator? I owe him some bread. Oh, well, you give it to me. And if I see him, I'll give it to him. That's enough, Buns. Total up my bill and I'll let the Frenchie pay for it. Frenchie! Sign the bill. Yes, Mama. Look, man, I told you Gator ain't here. Well, where is it? 
He's in Alaska hunting polar bear. Look, I told you I got to talk to this nigga. Now, this is square business. Well, I'll tell him I saw you. So you just take that money and shove it up your ass, you bounty hunting son of a bitch. Now, we're just a goddamn minute, No, bitch. you wait a minute. I hope you do run into Gator so he can cut your goddamn throat. Like I said, Nichelle Nichols really does commit to the role, and she's one of the high points of the film. She really does um, give it her A game. And uh, and I suppose you can make the argument that she was trying to do a bit of a um, reset from playing Uhura in Star Trek and to show that she did have acting chops. So doing a movie like this is a really good circuit breaker for that kind of thing. It didn't play out like that, and she chose a different path, and she's now incredibly respected for being one of the first role models for african-american women in uh, television and not necessarily in cinema but definitely in television but in this one she really does give us a vivid character and all credit to her for that having said that isaac hayes isn't a particularly good actor and he's not particularly a good choice for um a kind of black stud role the way that a lot of these black exploitation movies had but we do get some interesting bits in there there's a bit at the start where uh, truck turner and his mate are tracking down a soldier who's a child molester and they go to the um, army base to get him there and it turns out that the guy playing the army child molester is don mcgowan an actor who mostly did stunt roles and kind of secondary roles but it was known for in my books at least playing the lead role in that crazy early 1960s science fiction movie creation of the humanoids so he's in there and seeing him in there uh decade and change after making creation of the humanoids is kind of interesting uh we also get a little bit of a subplot with annie the um girlfriend of truck turner she's played by an actor called Annazel chase and she has a little bit of a problem with uh stealing she's um hijacks cars for instance and kind of has a, a bit of a klepto thing happening there. So she's in jail doing 30 days when Truck comes to visit her in uh, the local lockup. And the, she wants them to get out of LA. LA is not a good place for her, not a necessarily a good place for Mac either, because he has a tendency to get shot at when he's doing his job in LA. So uh, Truck's there. And when all of the pimps start basically trying to collect the bounty, on truck turner he arranges for annie to spend more time in prison by setting her up for a shoplifting gig so that she's safe from the people who are shooting at so the other person we got in there is the main villain of the piece apart from dorinda who's a pimp played by yafet koto called harvard blue which i kind of like that name i like the fact that it's a little bit of a middle finger to uh white privilege in a sense by calling a pimp character harvard blue but Yafakoto uh, gets some great costuming in, the, in this film as well. There's some really nice pimp clothes in this. He's got a um, kind of velour, a white velour jacket with a black lining and a great big blue pimp hat that matches his shirt and his tie. He gets to go really to town with the dialogue and with that kind of venomous, vicious shtick that... Uh, he can be known for uh this is about a year after he played the main villain in live and let die by the way so he's a year out of playing a james bond villain and gets this role as harvard blue who is a nasty character i mean he he kills 
Truck Turner's cat, which then gives Truck Turner the chance to go John Wick on his ass. He also acts very disrespectfully at Kata's funeral. He really is a kind... He's got that wonderful intensity that Yaffa Kata could bring and which he was allowed to bring to a certain extent in Live and Let Die. But in this one, and in also in another movie earlier in his career called Bone, really has an ability to get that intensity and menace that this kind of role needs. In fact, he's acting indeed as Nichelle Nichols does. He's acting at a level above what's required for the role and required for this particular film in this particular genre. So it's got that going for it. It's got two really nice performances in there. The other thing I like about the film is Isaac Hayes' soundtrack for Chuck Turner. Now, it's not as good as his Oscar-winning soundtrack for Shaft, but then very few things in this world are. Nonetheless, it's got very much that kind of 1970s groove to it. Uh, I think some of the movie's music is a little bit oddly placed. There's a really kind of weird romance ballad when he and his girlfriend are getting it on, which kind of does play to 21st century viewpoints like a cliche but overall it's a good solid soundtrack and uh, I've got a copy of it and it's on one of my playlists for black exploitation music Uh, we get some great scenes in this movie we get the shootout in a hospital we get some other really kind of cool bits and pieces which are over the top and more than a little bit silly to be honest Nonetheless, it's very much of its time and of its genre. And the adaptation from making it for a movie for Mitchum and Borgnine and Lee Marvin to a kind of black exploitation action film works well because the roles are well cast for the most part, leaving aside Isaac Hayes' limited abilities. And the location shooting and the um, kind of very much AIP slash Roger Corman feel about the film makes it work. Even though Roger Corman didn't have anything to do with this particular one, it really does feel like um, an exploitation movie of the time done by Corman Studios. Oh, yeah, I've forgotten that bit. I'm, I'm actually checking my notes now. And there's a bit where Annie first gets out of prison where uh, she says to Truck, take me to dinner first. So they end up back at the apartment with a box of KFC um, as her dinner and then they uh, she eats some of the chicken but then they get it on but if your girl just gets out of jail here's a tip from somebody who's had more than three girlfriends the last thing you're going to do if she gets out of jail is give her KFC a takeaway meal you're going to at least try to up the ante a little bit even if you're so horny it can be photographed from satellites you really need to take the effort to take her out to dinner first and then later on you can be amply rewarded but um, Truck Turner doesn't do that. Let's see what else we've got in the notes. Uh, there's a one-eyed cowboy pimp, which is kind of cool, a white guy, um, who's kind of dressed up like a rhinestone cowboy. He's got the cowboy gear and a spangled eye patch. So that's kind of a cool um, choice as far as the as far as the costume is concerned not a really trustworthy way to dress if you're trying to get new girls for your stable the last thing you want to do is look like a pimp but he definitely does look like a pimp uh, we also get Yaffa Koto in a tartan outfit when he goes on a rampage in the hospital which is kind of weird he kind of looks like the last king of Scotland and in case we didn't know he was a bad guy before from all of the things he does he does take a child hostage during the shootout in the hospital uh and uh, inevitably and this isn't a spoiler because this happens in these kind of movies all the fucking time 
when inevitably uh, Harvard Blue does get shot by Truck Turner, we get a prolonged slow-mo point of view shot of um, Harvard Blue walking towards his car, trying to do a getaway. And then we see him through the windshield as he dies. So that, again, is a kind of interesting choice. It's not just like bang, drop dead, and then the hero says something smart about you. They actually invest more in the death of the character than they did in building the character in some ways. But again, it makes things a little more visually interesting. And that kind of slow-mo also gives us some more of Yafet Koto's acting, which is not a bad thing in this kind of a film. And while we're on the death of character spoiler territory, this is probably the only movie you're going to see where Nashawn Nichols gets gut shot. That's all I'm going to say about that part of it. But just to summarise, Truck Turner, uh, it was shown as a double feature at the time it came out in America, along with Pam Grier's Foxy Brown. I think they're a pretty good match there. Though for me, I would have put Coffee and Foxy Brown together, but I don't suppose they were made at the same time because they've got the same star in them. But Truck Turner and um, Foxy Brown, yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. I can see him making a really nice double feature there. But... Pam Grier wasn't in this film, but she is in the other film I'm going to talk about in just a moment. See, there's a little bit of a segue. The wonderful Hitman starring Bernie Casey, who unfortunately died late last year. And I'm going to give you the trailer now for that and then talk about how this adaptation of the same source material as Get Carter varies from Get Carter, but still has some merits of his own. Watch out for Tackett, the Hitman. His brother was dead, and Tackett wanted answers. Fast. Well, tell me who killed him. He took on the black jungle single-handed, and no one could stop him. <laughs> Nigger. <laughs> the heavy dudes were running scared. When Tackett came to even the score. Once they turned him on, they couldn't turn him off. Yeah, I know, Mr. Zito. Get him. You got the taste of blood, huh, Alamo? You ain't gonna never stop. Run, Uncle Remus. Run! They wanted him dead. But who could do the job on the hitman? Bernie Casey is tacking out to even the score. You'd better watch out for the hitman from MGM. By the way, the voiceovers on both of those trailers that I've played for the two films is by an actor called Adolf Caesar, who really does give a, a kind of street ghetto edge to his voiceovers for a whole bunch of different exploitation movies, particularly ones black-themed, in the 1970s into the early 1980s. And I always like a good Adolf Caesar um, trailer for a film. It really does add something special to the little bit of a trailer. So, on to Hitman. Now, it's based on the same source material as Get Carter, which was a novel called uh, by a guy called Ted Lewis, Jack's Return Home. The basic plot's fairly simple. Uh, a hitman comes to bury his brother who's been killed and to find out how and why his brother was killed and to wreak vengeance upon the people who did the deed. Now, this one was in pre-production as Get Carter was being made in England at the same time. There's a story behind that. Now, you've got to kind of take it with a grain of salt because 
sometimes when we're talking about films that are 40, 50 years old, there can be some unreliable narrators. Now, according to the director of this film, George Armitage, he said he never saw Get Carter before making the film, and I'm reading this from Wikipedia again. He says that Gene Corman, Roger Corman's brother, who was a producer of this film, Hitman, gave him a copy of the script with no title on it and said that MGM owed the rights to the script, which was true. Armitage rewrote it to be set in an African-American community and only then did his agent tell him it was Get Carter. Now, I'm going to read a bit of what... Uh, Armitage says because it's worthwhile to check it out Armitage said I didn't feel at the time that a white director should be directing it so I met with Bernie Casey who wanted to direct it and campaigned for him with Gene Corman and Gene said I don't want to take a chance on someone who hasn't directed so he wasn't going to make the picture and at the point there was a lot of crew and cast involved and they were friends so I said okay I'll do it There was a great deal of improvisation by the actors who were bringing me dialogue from the African-American community, and it really worked. Growing up in a racially mixed neighbourhood like I did in Baldwin Hills, I knew a bit about the culture, but the actors brought so much in terms of dialogue and honesty. The Colonial Motel up on Sunset worked beautifully for us, and we shot at a funeral home in southwest LA. We shot all over there with a crazy police escort holding traffic at every location. And between locations, I'd get it in a little squad car, and these crazy cops would drive 150 miles an hour to the next location. I thought, God, Roger will be thrilled with that, and that's the way to travel. So I'm glad we were able to shoot at the Watts Tower right down there on 103rd Street. So that's how George Armitage saw it. And to compare and contrast the dialogue in Hitman with uh, Truck Turner, it does have a much more authentic ring to it. Now, I'm not an expert on 1970s black language, but it did have an authenticity to it. And even when there's a little bit of sort of silliness in the dialogue, which there is, and there's a fair bit of humour in this film as well, it really does sound a lot less contrived than the dialogue that we get in Truck Turner. Excuse me while I'm turning the pages here to get to my notes about the film. Okay, let's look at the cast. We've got Bernie Casey playing Tyrone Tackett, the hitman, the titular guy in the movie. Uh, We've got Pam Greer playing Gazelda, who is an actress kind of girlfriend to the mob boss who's running things in the area. A guy called Nano Zito, played by an actor called Don Diamond, who wasn't at all Italian. We've got Sam Law, who was also pl- who played Dinwoody, the um, bail bondsman, in Truck Turner, in here as Sherwood Epps, who was a friend of Tyrone's brother, Cornell. We've got Roger E. Mosley, who was also in Magnum P.I., playing Huey, one of the henchmen of uh, Zito. We also have um, Paul Gleason in it. Paul Gleason, amongst other things, played the school principal in The Breakfast Club. And so we've got him in there in an uncredited role right at the end of the film, which is kind of an interesting choice that um, George Armitage made when writing the script. I'm not going to spoil that bit for you because I want you to see this film probably more than I want you to see Truck Turner because this one I I really like. So about 90% of the cast in this one is black, as indeed it was in Truck Turner. And for me, it works a lot better. Right at the start, just as he's getting out of the uh, airport at LA, you see Bernie Casey wearing some really cool threads, 1970s-style threads, a dark maroon suit, uh, a really wide-brimmed hat, 
um, just looking totally like a male model because Bernie Casey is an ex-football player. He played football in the 1960s and he's in great shape here. He's in much better shape than uh, Isaac Hayes was in Truck Turner. And he's that does help during the action sequences. He really does um, give us a sense that this guy is a force of nature, which is the kind of thing you need there. It's one of the faults that I find with Get Carter is that Michael Caine's trying to play this hard man, hitman, thug, working for various criminal organisations. Now, from an acting point of view, he gets it right. It's a fantastic role from that point of view. But Michael Caine isn't a ripped character his muscle tone was totally wrong for the role and even when he does that dialogue about i work at it you don't uh it doesn't play well because michael kane doesn't have um a level of physical fitness that's right for the particular hitman in the original novel or in the adaptation so that's just a little bit of a quibble there but bernie Casey's great in this pam pam greer in there is uh, good as Gazelda, and there's a great scene with her and Bernie Casey in a porn cinema, which is an important plot point to finding out what's actually going on for Tyrone. And um, there's a really nice chemistry between them as well. We do get a lot more nudity in this film than we ever get in Truck Turner. In fact, we don't get any in Truck Turner, but in this one we do. We get a nude scene with Pam Greer. We get a nude scene with a few other women with whom Tyrone is in close proximity. And, um, yeah, for me that kind of works better as um, an exploitation movie of the time because Truck Turner was a little more careful, let's say. Maybe Isaac Hayes had some qualms about doing nudity in the film. Who knows? And also, given that this movie is based on the same script as Get Carter, we do get some of the same scenes that were in the original movie. You've got to say original because it came out a year before Hitman. The bit where uh, Tyrone is talking to his girlfriend in Berkeley and telling her to feel her breasts up and things like that while he's sitting there with the lady running the motel and uh, kind of turning her on at the same time he's turning his girlfriend on. That kind of transgressive stuff is retained from the original but I suppose, in a sense, this movie is always going to suffer when compared with Mike Hodges' film because uh, it didn't have the budget, it didn't have the locations, and it didn't have a star with quite the name value of Michael Caine involved. Having said that, there are some interesting choices made in this one as well. We do see uh, that Cornell, the brother of Tyrone, uh, trained dogs for dogfights, which is pretty icky. Uh Truck Turner killed a cat. In this one, there's a dog fight with dogs in it. They're both pit bulls. I don't think they hurt the dogs, but in that kind of movie, particularly from that time period. But on the other hand, we've got to assume that the dogs weren't hurt because it makes the movie palatable if we do. The other One of the other virtues of the film is that Pam Grigg gets one of the best death scenes in her career. I'm not going to spoil it, even though the trailer does to a certain extent spoil it don't look at the trailer before you see the movie please because it's a nice kind of surprising bit there which i really like the way that it was uh, presented to us and the way it played out so we get that in there and uh, i like bernie casey as an actor he always had a certain gravitas to him 
and he always had a kind of quiet, confident strength about him, which being the kind of physically large, he's 6'4", and football player build kind of guy he was, you can understand that. But he also does some really nice things with quietness and stillness, which is something I'm noticing in movies more these days. I think since I saw Three Billboards, just watching the way that a really good actor uses stillness is a fascinating thing, and it allows the audience to then kind of make their own guesses and make their own assumptions about what the character is thinking. It can look stupid if it's done incorrectly, but if it's done correctly, it's a way of drawing us into the narrative that I think works very, very well. I just looked up something interesting on this film on IMDb, which is always fun. They've got a section called Plot Keywords, so you put in key terms so that people can search for movies and it's useful for them on IMDb. And here are the plot keywords for Hitman. Bourbon whiskey, beer, cigar, marijuana, dead man, black exploitation, walking, based on novel, bare breasts and female nudity. So if that doesn't drag you in, I'm not sure what will. All of those things, the walking one seems a really a bit odd. But bare breasts, female nudity, cigars, bourbon, whiskey, beer, black exploitation, based on a novel, dead man as well. Um, and marijuana. You've got to like a movie that's got all of those things in it. I'm really going to have to, in future, when I review movies for Paleo Cinema in particular, go to the IMDb plot keywords because they're interesting, the ones that are chosen by IMDb contributors to describe things that are in a movie. So I'm not going to go too far more into Hitman, but I liked it. It was a lot of fun to watch. I love the costume, particularly the clothing that Bernie Casey wears in it, which is beautiful stuff and very 1970s in the best possible way. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting black exploitation film, a little bit off to one side, and because, like Truck Turner, it was based on material that wasn't designed for a person of colour. I think this one works better with that improvised dialogue, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't, but has an authentic tone to it, with Bernie Casey in the lead, Pam Greer in there, and uh, it's got the usual kind of 1970s mafia guys who are usually played by older character actors with greasy hair for some reason. Perhaps that's an ethnic stereotype, I'm not sure. But it kind of worked for me. I enjoyed it. I, I think there are other movies that, of the type that are better. Trouble Man's another one that I like. But um, it, it kind of worked for me. And it was a bit of fun to kind of watch. I hadn't seen it before. I'd heard about it. Because as you do your research on black exploitation, a whole bunch of movies' names come up as a part of that research. But uh, yeah, it was worth checking out and worth visiting now i'm going to cut this podcast a little bit short because my throat's starting to go and i might be coming down with a bit of a bug so i apologize for that usually the podcasts run about 14 15 minutes longer than this one but i'm going to kind of stick to it here and wind things up but uh yeah let me know if there's anything else you want me to cover as far as black exploitation and exploitation movies are Go through the lists that I've got first to see what I've already done. I usually do it this way. I search in Google Paleo-Cinema and then the name of the movie. And if it doesn't come up, I'm pretty sure I haven't done it for the podcast. After 231 Paleo Cinemas, it's very easy to accidentally try to double up. 
but nonetheless, um, it's a good way of, of checking out what's been done and what hasn't been done. So anyway, look after yourselves. Watch some good movies, watch some bad movies. I've got the credits again in the style of movie credits to recognise and acknowledge the Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash paleocinema. So I'm going to wind it up there. Uh, look after yourselves and I'll be back very soon with more stuff. Catch you later. Here are the credits for Paleo Cinema Podcast and Martian Driving Podcast done in the style of film credits. I'd like to thank Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, the technicolor consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary, the prop master, Morris, our musical director, Jan, our dialect coach, Armin, our key grip, Matt, the Rattlesnake Wrangler, Elaine, our Scientific Advisor, Julia, the Casting Director, Chris, the Camera Operator, Christopher, the Gaffer, Miss Jane, the Wardrobe Mistress, Tansy, our Foley Artist, Alyssa, our Location Scout, Mark, the Second Unit Director, Paul, the Special Makeup Effects Director, Tammy, the Donut Wrangler, Tim, our New York unit director. Steve, our spiritual advisor. Steve Sullivan, our script doctor. Dylan, the goat wrangler. Eric, the set security lead. Richard H., the set photographer. Mark D., the extra. David L., the extra. And Richard C., our transport co-captain. Plus Andrew, our necessary film critic. We have Kerry H, our accountant, and Kerry L, our other spiritual advisor. Thank you so much to all the patrons for dipping into their pockets and helping out with the podcast. This has been a Paleo Cinema Martian Driving production. The end. <laughs>